Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the I Hear Design podcast. I'm your host, Robert Yeminen, and by now, I think most of you have noticed some changes here at INS. And as I mentioned in our previous episode, we've undergone a rebrand for 2021 that we're really excited about. And as part of that effort, we're introducing our revamped advisory board so you know uh, who they are, as well as to give you a sense of what these experts are seeing in the industry as we continue figuring out our new normal. And while we've added a few new faces to our advisory board, some of them have been our longtime partners, such as my guest today, who really needs no introduction. Uh, with me is our dear friend, Jane Rohde, founder and principal of JSR Associates. Jane, it's always good to see you. How are you doing? Thank you. And I so appreciate you didn't say like long old people or something <laughs> like, along those lines in terms of our, our long-term relationship. It's a pleasure no. to be here as always, Robert. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great having you on. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, you've, you've been such an amazing partner for us here at INS. And uh, while many in our listening audience um, are most likely familiar with you uh, from all your work with us on design connections and, and articles and podcasts, um, for those that may not be, I just wanted to have you on, uh, have a conversation and just talk about your approach to design, your motivation, um, and then as well as some thoughts about where you think uh, we're going to be headed in the next several months and maybe even years in design. Yeah, it's just going to be such a different world, right? It seems like it, yeah, but hopefully for the better, you know. So we're gonna we're gonna keep things positive, given given uh, you know the as as Stephen Sloan likes to describe the the dumpster fire that was 2021. Like that's behind us. So <laughs> let's let's move forward. But uh, anyway, uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you was just kind of um, on a kind of personal personal and professional level, you know, just where you find motivation for the work that you do every day. Um, you obviously work in um, you know, the senior living market primarily. Where do you find your inspiration and purpose for what you do? Yeah, so motivation for me, it really comes from my heart. Mm. <laughs> and I, I think that uh, as we've seen with COVID-19 and the devastation to the senior living population, of course, right? Mm. So that's always been my focus, but it's even now so uh, ramped up because now we have people listening. Right. So we, we've been talking a long times about the inequities of seniors and vulnerable populations, but now people are actually listening to us. Right. So, so let's move through that, right? So, so the opportunity for access to service and care and amenities and living uh, in terms of equity and inclusivity, I think we are at a tipping point now that can happen that would not have been able to happen pre-COVID. Mm. So as devastating as, as the deaths have been, we've seen some great research has just come out. A new article was just published uh, that the Greenhouse Project shared with us. So we're starting to see that uh, this idea of small house and this other ideas of these household models, care models that we've been talking about for a long time are now going to be able to demonstrate the outcomes. And so mm. with demonstrating the outcomes, that gives us not just motivation, but people are seeing it, right? So the gaps that we knew were there are now visible and people are paying attention. So we wanna keep that attention and that focus on there because that that inspires me. You know, so so you we had talked a little bit about Instagram and, and not using Instagram or whatever, but <laughs> my favorite inspiration is actually, I, I don't even really sure how I signed up for this. So give me a little slack. Okay. <laughs> but there's these uh, various people who turn uh, like 98 or 105 and it says well wishes for Herman and well wishes for Martha and well wishes for and I love those because I'm like yeah go girl you know like or it shows them doing some amazing thing and we, there's this one um that's grandma Williams and she's like 80 uh, plus and she posts more on Twitter than anyone else I've no ever way. seen and so but I love her because she she has opinions about she'll reflect on history like so if we see something happen 
um, like Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. she'll she'll go back to the civil rights and say, this is what was happening then, and this is the parallel, and this is what we can learn. And mm. and so I love seeing older people being much better at social media than me, but yeah. are also aware of what's going on yeah. so that they can use their history and their words and their background to help us learn from that. So, so if we're at a tipping point now for change, I think that that is what's really motivating me and then inspiring me. And yeah. older people inspire me every day, you know, including my, my mom and dad. So, you know, so I'm really glad that, that that's the case for what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think it was, you, this just reminded me, I think it was Al Roker on like, uh, on the Today Show that used to do that, right? Like somebody would turn like 102. It's like, it, it's so, yeah, let's celebrate. Heart, it's heartwarming. Like, yes, that's awesome. But yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, I think if there's a silver lining to be found, I mean, in COVID, and I know it's been kind of hard because of, you know, how, how devastating it's been. And like you said, senior living populations, it is really interesting that, that it is sort of accelerating you know, design and design outcomes and, and really underscoring the importance and the power of design to really impact people's lives for the better. So that's something to look forward to and something to find inspiration from too, so. Right, and, and just being that recognition that we need of, of a focus, right? So there's been a group of us that are tight knit that have been focusing on this for decades and but you need to have the bigger focus. And we're seeing some, uh, some bills being proposed and if they come to fruition, it will mean that reimbursement will be provided that's higher, but it has to go to care delivery. So no longer lining po po you know, pockets of owners or whatever, not to say that they're bad or good, um, but in terms of where the money's going, in terms of profit, more money from the reimbursement side would have to go toward care delivery and proven out that way. And I think that to me, that's exciting because that that lets us elevate, but it also is it may prevent us from having low-income folks needing to work multiple jobs, you should be able to have a living wage with that. So if we can get a living wage working out of that and maybe access to healthcare, now there's a thought, healthcare workers with access to healthcare, I love that. Right. Um, so, so that may actually help us with our seniors and our, our vulnerable population. So I'm, I'm really excited for what can happen for elders. And I, my heart goes out to those that mm. grieve for losing one Absolutely. Um, at the same time. Yeah. 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 No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But there is, yeah. Cause and space for hope. So that's good. Jane, what, how would you describe your design philosophy and, um, and then in your, in your career, like who've been some of the, the mentors and colleagues and people that have just kind of helped shaped uh, shape your design thinking along the way? So my design philosophy actually comes out of Leland Kaiser, who was a futurist. And most younger folks don't know who he is. You should look him up because he's, he's great fodder. I remember doing a presentation way before PowerPoint when he, he had one of those machines that has the overhead thing that has the clear transparency and you draw on it with a marker. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see up on the screen. Yeah. Um, and he had three slides in like a, an entire all day seminar. And I was spellbound because he talked about looking at community design from really understanding it. For So one of his examples that really resonated with me was he was in a boardroom with a bunch of hospital administrators, you know, and board members, and they kept talking about being a community-based hospital. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he's like, so what makes that a community-based hospital? So who lives in this, the little house across the street? They all looked at him like he was crazy, right? So he kept asking these questions and to prove his point, he had a bus pull up outside had him load up everybody and then pulled to the other side of the street and unloaded everybody and made them go door to door to find out what was going on in the neighborhood and the community and come to find out here's this community-based hospital that 
no one knew that the entire community was not vaccinated. The children were not being vaccinated. Wow. And, and so some of the public health issues, some of the community-based issues. And so that's when the thinking started shifting about really understanding community. And then the other thing that he said, he goes, if you have a church on a corner that's empty during the week and only full on Sunday, you have a missed asset. You're, mm. you're missing an asset. So that started getting me to think, I already kind of architecture design school is going to give you that alternative thinking process. But that gave me the alternative space process, you know, the function process, the human process, the, the, the understanding of who the human is and what we're doing. And, and so that kind of kicked it off. And it was me and a couple of other colleagues that I'm still in touch with that we all kind of felt like the Leland Kaiser moment, <laughs> you know, because it was the, the yeah. moment of shift and change. And, and from that, uh, was involved with the Center for Health Design. Like, I think mm. I came, I don't think I made it to the first one, but after that, I came to the second one. And of course, Wayne Ruga was the founder originally of the Center yes. for Health Design. And he's still, he's part of the Caritas Project still. And I get emails from him or I'll get little notes from him occasionally still. And he was a visionary. And visionaries are unique people who help the rest of the world see more clearly. So in a sense, like Leland Kaiser, but a little bit different. Um, same with Dr. Thomas, Bill Thomas, uh, for the long-term care industry. Um, so, I, and I met Bill Thomas because of Wayne Ruga. Hmm. So, so, you know, you kind of look at that. And then the other part that really helped me mold into being a better designer and a better architect uh, was the firm that I worked for in DC. It was a very small firm and it was Steven Spurlock and Joe Nook. And they were, they were eventually partners, business partners as well. And, uh, and, and Stephen and I got to know each other very well and uh, Joe's passed now. And, but Stephen and I had this way of, he, he, he was a mentor, but he also showed you how to do things that you may not learn. And um, years later, when I was running a large department, he came to visit me and he says, I never thought I'd see the day where you weren't gonna be real protective over your designs because you were afraid somebody else would either see it or, or mess with it. Mm -hmm. and, and here it was like, I had like 30 staff people and you kind of had to let go, you know, and he goes, so it's good to see that you've moved from design into management, but honestly, design is really where the love is, you know, but both Joe and Steven, they gave me every opportunity I could have possibly had. And they taught me how to do it correctly. Cause I didn't really learn that part, the business side and the construction document side, I didn't learn that in college, but I definitely learned that from them. Um, and I'd had quite a bit of background in high school. I happened to have an architect that happened to be our mechanical drawing teacher. So, you know, mm. go figure in my little small town. Um, and so I think that they helped kind of formulate that and, and allow me to see how I could uh, adapt and, and work with that. And then as I go along, I think of all the colleagues that I've continued to collaborate with all these years who every opportunity or every meeting is just an opportunity to learn something new or add something a little different to my thinking or whatever. But it's those conversations that I feel are so rich and, and deep. And at our last design connections, when we were in person down in Savannah, mm -hmm. um, we had Anya Sorota was there. And I yes. remember Stephen Sloat asked her, so how did you meet Jane? You know, you seem to have a good rapport. And she goes, oh, she cold called me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I think yeah. I was there. I think you were there for that conversation. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, so I've remained in touch with her. So, so yeah. and, and, and so she's, she knew other people that we had present from Detroit, that they happen to know each other. We're working on our Detroit project for our demonstration project now mm -hmm. um, uh, with uh, Derek Scott who we yes, had present last, I remember, you know, yeah. last year too. So, so I think that, um, you know, you start off with that foundation of people who excite you, make you think, make you 
look beyond who you are so that you can do bigger and better things and, and really thoughtful things. But then you have all those other colleagues that you meet and, you know, and sometimes it can be as innocent as, uh, you know, sitting next to someone at airport or, you know, really getting to know somebody for, for a different reason because of a different commonality. So uh, I, I think I'm grateful for all of my colleagues over the years because they've allowed me to, to grow. And it, then it gives you that, that resource base too. Mm -hmm. So when you think of something, you go, you know who might be able to help me with that? <laughs> or yeah. you know who might be able to spin this so I can understand it better or mm. uh, just get a, a better idea of what I'm trying to achieve. Um, and so I, I think of almost all of my peers as mentors at the same time, if, mm -hmm. that, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, and it was interesting as you were talking early on there, you know, it's almost like you've had this sort of human centric design all along, you know, I know it's very, it's, it's becoming much more common to, to use those terms and as far as how we approach design, but yeah, that community-based human centric uh, approach is, is very, very neat. Yeah. I don't feel like an alien anymore. I used to feel like an alien <laughs> C-pod that I've landed somewhere from you know outer space. And I don't feel that way anymore because the terms that I'm using are now more commonplace. So thank right. you for that reinforcement. <laughs> you were, you were a pioneer, Jane. That's what we're going to say. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit as, as we started um, our conversation, but um, what are you excited about, particularly as we head into 2021? I mean, I, I know there's some things, like you said, uh, people are starting to notice and, and things are happening on the senior living front, but what else are you um, hopeful about for this year? So, so 2020, I, I know for most groups was not maybe a positive thing in some ways, but for us, actually, the second half of the year was very positive. Mm -hmm. um, we were working with CDC on a new technology that ties uh, evidence into Revit modeling uh, and being able to take different uh, systems, so say Fitwell or Green Globes, and being able to tie that into a platform where, you, where a designer could do all of the work they needed to do and document it and everything within the Revit platform. Hmm. And uh, so we, we had also uh, completed a grant for ASID, um, which was uh, to look at post-occupancy evaluation, which is now uh, sort of the hard copy, can now become part of the electronic copy. And so we're, we're evolving that from workplace into senior living. So we'll now have this post-occupancy tool that we can then add to the software program, as well as create something that we can use for our live together projects, our demonstration right. projects. So, so to me, that's when, when everything comes together, and, and that was one of those conversations with a friend where she said, well, you could take live together through your new software program, and that would give you the evidence that you need, and then you'd be set. <laughs> and, and I hadn't even made those correlations in my right. own world between our JSR company that we've had for 25 years and right. this opportunity for these two new companies to actually interwork. Um, so we're now doing the research and the lit reviews on the key, key search items for live together and doing multi-generational communities. So, mm. so that's to me is very exciting. And I, I think that 2021 gives us an opportunity to revisit. So as busy as we've all been on Zoom and, and, and all that, it still has given us moments where we can rethink what we thought was true. Um, you know, one of my colleagues, um, she opened a senior center two weeks before COVID hit and we were gonna do a big presentation on it. And we had all these ideas. And, you know, we talked about it and she's like, nothing's the same, <laughs> Not, nothing will ever be the same. So this idea of hybrids, uh, you know, in terms of what we look at for the future. Um, so I think that that's exciting. Um, I've also been working on a, a manuscript for Rutledge. It's 
shush, but it's late. Um, but you know, I've been working on it, and uh, but we've been trying to interweave what we knew before and what we know now, hmm. and what we're hopefully going to know in the future. So it it is on an elder and uh, elders, but mostly about inclusivity, and okay. and so I'm excited about that opportunity too because I think that we're going to need some more guideposts and we're going to need some more guidance. And I think a lot of that guidance looks more like a framework instead of this is what you have to do. Uh, because I think it's going to be different for each vertical, but each vertical starting to, we already saw that merging the verticals, right? So mm -hmm. we're just seeing more, more and more of that. Yeah. And I think training of the workforce for care is going to one of my colleagues in Canada, we were talking and she said, you know, I'm back at academics trying to get them to understand that nursing is going to take place in the home or in the community. Hmm. So how, how do we reevaluate that? Um, so it's exciting. It's a little nerve wracking. Um, mm. And it and it's also has huge potential. So we're going to yeah. go for the huge potential idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, you mentioned nerve wracking. My other my follow up to that question was, I mean, what are your concerns or you know, what do you see as being some challenges that we're all facing um, as an industry? Um, I I have not, well, I think some of the in-person interaction I think that we're going to miss out on is one of the concerns for our industry. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, other clients that are in other states where, you know, we've worked overseas and things like that, people didn't think anything about working overseas and, and sharing a go-to-meeting or whatever. But now we're finding local folks as well as, you know, working on projects in Indiana. We've been talking to people in Illinois. They don't have any problem with us being not where they are geographically located. Mm -hmm. um, so the the concern side of that is how much work can you do, and the flip side is how much work can we do? Because <laughs> <laughs> we we're really seeing this huge push on the residential assisted living uh, as a model, as a small mm -hmm. house model, and we've now been making more and more contacts with that and getting references for that. And we think that that's going to help us solve some of the issues. It won't solve all of obviously, but it will solve it for some. And it's going to start making affordability uh, a part of the conversation. And I think we have even getting that incrementally down for care and services, I think will be a good thing. Um, so some of the concerns are more, we're still so many unknowns for our industry. And I think that other sectors like hospitality and people who work in other sectors that have much harder hit, um, healthcare and senior living has been hit, but in a different way. And then we've had all this COVID classes that we've been giving and, and information about surfaces and materials and things like that. So healthcare has shifted, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not a concern in terms of its ongoing development. So I, I worry for those in hospitality about what's next for them and, and what's in some of the commercial workplace. I think we're gonna see workplace shifting to potentially using some of those spaces for housing. And, and I think, you know, whether that's affordability or just co-working or what that's gonna look like, that could be very exciting in a sense. Uh, and I think that the Airbnb world and how hospitality is done, I think we're gonna see some, I don't know, some really interesting hybrids come out of that potentially. Yeah. Um, I heard the other day on the news that um, they were trying to open uh, theaters again, uh, movie theaters, and they go, we can do this so that it's safe, we can socially distance you, or you can just rent the entire theater for 20 of your closest friends. And I was like, there would never have been that conversation right. before COVID, you know? 
Um, so, so yeah, when it becomes like a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party um, mm -hmm. you know, scenario. So I thought it was interesting though, because everyone's trying to figure out and be creative yeah. about how they do that. And in the restaurant industry, we need to support it. Yep. You know, we, we, we all love that and, and want that. And so I think supporting that as well is, is part of uh, some of the concerns I see for our industry, but also just in small business in general, you know, anything mm -hmm. we can do to support small business, I think is incredibly important. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so you kind of touched on, I think, some potential trends that are coming up. Are there others that you see on the horizon, things that we um, can expect in the, in the next several years? Well, you know, what's interesting is when you have a new president administration, mm -hmm. uh, I was on a GSA environmental call. I sit on the Green Building Advisory Committee. And yesterday we had a huge call in one of our task groups the last year and a half that I've been part of uh, is to do with embodied carbon. So it was like watching a whole bunch of really excited little guys because everyone was like <laughs> so excited because it's like, because he had just had his climate change, uh, you know, speech that, that, President Biden had given the day before. Mm -hmm. And and so the sustainability and climate change piece, I think, is, is going to expand as a result. But I really hope that we can also look at the basics. Um, I had this conversation this morning with a, with a colleague about how do we make sure that we're covering housing? Everyone has access to food. Everyone has access to clean water. Um, you know, the, the basics of what we would think of if we were thinking potentially of, a, of an underdeveloped country, I think those are very real for the US. And mm. we, we've said for a long time from the climate change perspective, I grew up in Western New York, you know, in Buffalo, Lake Erie, and that's like the largest fresh water system we have, you know, and, and, and we don't have like rivers on fire anymore or anything like that. You know, all, the, all that stuff has been cleaned up. And, and so when you look at the Great Lakes as a resource, that when you look at climate change, people are like, that's where people are going to want to live. And, and I think the irony of that, right? So, so when you look at Buffalo with winters and all that, my dad thinks it's moderate climate. And, um, you know, because he's lived there his whole life. So he's like, well, you know, it's moderate climate. We don't have, we don't have hurricanes. We don't have earthquakes. We don't sure. have mudslides. You know, he's got, he's got some points. You know, you just have yeah. 30 inches of snow um, that from my conversation this morning. Um, but when you start thinking about that, I think people are going to start to want to live in different places. We've seen that with the wildflower fires, um, the wildfires in California, that people are like looking to live somewhere else. And it's not necessarily because California is super expensive. It's because mm -hmm. they can't take the stress of it anymore between earthquakes, mudslides, um, you know, drought and, and fires. Right. And, and so people are looking differently. And I think COVID has done this too, because people have been with their families more. So mm. like it or hate it, which, whichever way you want to go with that, <laughs> it, goes um, both ways, it, yeah. it goes both ways and yeah. it is stressful, but you, you can see where families can start to make decisions differently based on quality of life and, and remote working is going to allow them to live anywhere, yeah. even more so than we were already. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that those trends are going to, could lead to interesting industry opportunities. So if you think about the Midwest where the, where jobs are harder to find and what are we going to do and that kind of thing. Well, what if a whole group of folks from California all of a sudden living in, you know, I don't know, Des Moines, mm -hmm. you know, Iowa um, or Oklahoma or Oklahoma city. And, and um, not only is there, uh, there have been uh, incentives for people to live and move to other states and, and do remote working, but I think this is going to be a new opportunity where we could see mini hubs 
where people don't necessarily have to live in the larger urban areas or may even be afraid of living in larger ur urban areas after the result of what COVID did in New York City. Mm -hmm. so, so you could see mindsets are shifting around different things. So, so yeah. this could create all kinds of opportunity, but also growth in areas that haven't seen growth in a long mm -hmm. time. Um, I think that my dad grew up in a little mining town in Pennsylvania, in Western Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And I think about how when he, I see it through his eyes. So you go to a parade and he tells you what he did as a kid and none of those things are there now, right? So, so if those things could occur again, is small town living and rural living and small town living something that's sort of uniquely cool again? Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I like that. Yeah. It was it was funny. It reminded me of a story as you were as you were talking. Uh, we were talking to some folks. I think a design firm, and we were talking, asking them about the remote work and if they're back in the office. And one of them mentioned that a colleague was, I guess, had lived somewhere. I want to say D.C. And they're like, Oh yeah, well, I moved to Pennsylvania or something. You know, like some rural area. It's like, <laughs> Oh, wow. like, you know, just all of a sudden, just up and relocated without anybody really knowing. Because it's like, Well, I work from home now, so you know. You may want to make that decision, you know, a, a little more, you know, thoughtful. One of my staff members to moved to Minneapolis. Yeah. yeah, they moved to Minnesota. And I'm like, right. you moved to Minnesota in the winter during COVID. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. it sounded totally logical, too. That was the funny part. Right. It sounded totally logical for right. what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. But it is interesting to see how things are shifting and how that translates into where they live and work. Because you, like, you're right. Um, that remote work is is going to really open up opportunities for for people in different places. So. Um, you touched on the fact that you're working on a book. Um, what else is next for you and for JSR? What, what are you guys working on? Anything you can share? Um, so we've been, uh, the residential assisted living has been a, a boom for us. Um, and we're also part of JSR. Uh, we, we created a new company called Crosswalk Inc. That's for the software. But my, my main de designer and architect, Shernice Richardson, has been working on, I'll, I'll call it storyboards, but they use a, a software called Figma to lay out how that software will work with Revit. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a techie geek side that I don't know if you really knew is there, but it is. Um, but I, I'm not a, a strong Revit user because of the, you know, she, that's her thing, not my thing necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been kind of cool to see how that connectivity and the conversations we have um, the other thing I found is that, and I never thought I would say this, but the less travel, I think, has made me more accessible, which has made us have more regular meetings, and we do them online, so we're more focused um, than we would be, say, if we were just in a conference room and eating lunch or having a casual conversation. So I think our work and our agendas are a little bit more focused, um, which I think has been good, and I think I could ratchet back the travel just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I miss being uh, with people and things like that, but I I think it's been good for our business with everything that's been going on. Um, so the other piece is the live together model. We have determined a board and we have advisors and we've determined that um, it's going to be an operator owner entity. And then the design side of that will remain in JSR. So, so Shernice has been a big part of how do we develop that. And, and Lauren, who also works with us, has been a big part of that. Trying to figure out how those three components work. Because the last thing I thought I'd be doing is setting up two companies in the middle of COVID. So, so you know, in addition. So trying to figure out what each is and what our identity is. And, and we have a, a good friend, Roy Griffith. He's been working with us again, too. He's He's been around for a long time in and out of our, our firm. And and being a good supporter. And so, so he's kind of been evaluating it too um, while we look at what are the different components. So it's helped us kind of streamline all of that. 
I took our, our board at the office. I was in there the other day and, and uh, we had a bunch of post-its from this strategic meeting we had done like, I don't know, 18 months ago, still all up, right? Oh, wow. So, so I went through them all and I was like, okay, this, we did that, we did that, we did that. Oh, we got that. Oh, and we did that. And, you know, so there was more blue post-its about our achievements mm. than there was not, but there was three distinct buckets. Um, my friend, Kevin Mulvaney is the one who helped us do that originally. And um, I thought, oh, he would be pleased, <laughs> with the, you know, that we've been making progress. And it, it was only 18 months ago, and it seems like right. 16 years ago, right, that we did yeah. some of that. Um, so I think that we're, we're positioned well um, and trying to figure out what's next. But I think it's definitely going to be those smaller models and then um, using that uh, our software system to figure out what that looks like. And then we'll eventually, by 2022, we have to have the software system commercialized uh, according to the to the grant document so sure so busy yeah. <laughs> i guess that what's next will be busy because <laughs> yeah. it can be good you know it's a good thing so yeah. um you mentioned yeah the, the cutback and travel um but on more of like a leisurely personal side like once uh, travel is a little more safe is there a particular city you can't wait to visit or i, I was going to ask you about instagram but i know you mentioned you know you don't have a particularly <laughs> favorite account to follow so any tidbit of like personal info or listeners might you know find interesting yeah you know so it's funny um i've made one trip since all this started and it was on the New Jersey turnpike toward Newark and I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. And I thought this is oh, the saddest great. thing I've ever heard that you, you know, this is it. So, so at first my response to that was anywhere but here, right? right? Right. But then the other part is really thinking broader, more broadly. Um, I've been reading uh, Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels and uh, there's places uh, and I'll, I apologize now for bad pronunciation. We think it's okay. called Ischia. It's the island off of Naples that's okay. in Italy. And, and so a group of us, I've, I've, I've gotten the books for a couple of people. Lauren bought them for me and then I got them from other people. And so now we have this like little group of women that are all like, oh, when are we going to the island? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I think that, that that's one place. And the other place I've always wanted to go that I've not made it to is Prague. And, and part of the reason being that the city didn't get bombed during World War II. And one of my really close friends, Frank, he's been there numerous times because he works in the technology software world. And I just, you know, for sure, Prague is on the list. Um, and I, but I got a text from uh, Lauren the other day because we traveled to China together for our China work. And she, she goes, I think even China's looking good right now. I just need to get out of this house. You know, so, so, and she's been teaching at home too with her child. So she's got that plus, you know, work. And, and, and so I think that, um, yeah, any, any place that would be like a creative place you could interact safely, mm -hmm. you know, yep. would be good. Totally, totally. Yeah. I, I, at this point, I'm like, I need to plan a camping trip or something, you know, I, I think you're right. Anything, anywhere other than here, I think right now, I mean, I'm in South Florida, so I, I can't complain. I know everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't want to hear it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like 70 degrees, I think right now. So anyway. Yeah. And working on planning a, um, a Harley trip. Uh, so, yes. so that's another piece too. I, I, I would like to go to Memphis. I don't know if you're familiar with Stax Records, uh, but it was an old label of yeah. Stax Records. And I actually saw a play about them before COVID and I was fascinated. So one of my uh, four, four of us women that go uh, once a month, we've been doing it for 30 years. And uh, one of them bought us the Stax Records, the, the CDs that went with the play. 
And, um, and uh, so I was like, you know, that's on my list. So I, I want to go to Memphis. So I thought, well, Memphis would be a great motorcycle trip because maybe I could do the Tail of the Dragon and some of the other mm. you know, pathways that are down that area. Um, so that's kind of on the list, but whether that's a Southwest flight or a motorcycle, I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, but that could have potential too, because that's one place I'd like to go. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you have to take a lot of pictures if you do, because that, that sounds amazing. I'd love to join you too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just need a Harley. So <laughs> we, can, we can hook you up. <laughs> all right. All right. We're doing it. You heard it here first. <laughs> you have the beard. You've got it. You're, you're there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're I just ready. Get the leather and the everything else. And we're good to go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So great to chat with you and hear your thoughts uh, on what's, what's going on right now, Jane, as always. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely. Here's hoping that things uh, get back to normal or whatever our new version of normal is going to be really soon. Uh, so thank you again for being here, Jane. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, awesome. Well, for our listeners, thanks uh, as well for tuning in. Uh, you can learn more about some of our new board members by checking out um, our Instagram account where we're going to be posting a few uh, Q&As with them as well. Follow us at the handle at I and S design. That's it for today's episode, everyone. Uh, thanks. And as always, be well, everyone.